All right. Hello. I am Emma. I'm Antonella. This is More Than Meets the Eye. Um, and we're here to help you see the world through a more aesthetically pleasing lens. Oh, yeah, we are. That's our catchphrase, if you didn't know. So, More Than Meets the Eye, if you couldn't tell, if you didn't know, is a podcast about aesthetics, and we like to break down either a particular aesthetic or our world-renowned pop culture aesthetics which is essentially a movie, a book, a album that is relevant to pop culture and break it down into its aesthetic elements. And that is what we are doing this week, which is always a fun time for us. Um, but can you tell us what we are talking about this week, Antonella? This week we are talking about um, Wong Kar Wai's 1995 film called Fallen Angels. Um, so Antonella, in a couple words, can you just give me like a general vibe for, for what this film is, for what Fallen Angels is? It takes two dual storylines of two separate love stories and you watch them play out in the city of Hong Kong. It's kind of described as a neo-noir film, um, a very aesthetic and... Um, it just explores these characters' relationships and their loneliness as well. If I had to, yeah, bring it into, like, a few sentences, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's great. I guess to get into it a little more, um, we have kind of, like, like you said, we do have two love stories kind of going on throughout this, but, um... I just want to quickly insert that, like, there's another movie that we both know and love um, called Chunking Express, which is also made by Wong Kar Wai. Um, and this film is, like, a sort of, like, pairing with that film. Um, and is we'll get into it more, but, like, very much related to that film. And has a similar, like, that film also has this element of, like, two different love stories happening at the same time. Um, which is interesting. But this one, very much like the two stories are blended together a lot more smoothly, I guess, so that, like, both are happening, like, in different kind of vignettes. So it's funny, because, like, to give you a plot summary is a little tricky, because it doesn't... It does stuff chronologically, but, like, it doesn't really have, like, your traditional beginning, middle, end. Anyway, we start off with... Our Leon Lai character, Leon Lai is the actor who plays Wang Chi-Ming, who is a hitman. He never really says he's a hitman, but he is a hitman. Um, and he kind of goes through this sort of breakup with his current uh, work partner because there's like emotions mixed in with their business partnership as well as... So while this relationship's unfolding, we're also introduced to another character played by Takeshi Kaneshiro and he plays a mute ex-convict um and his uh he ends up falling in love with this uh woman who is pining over her ex-lover and wanting to be with him but this ex-lover does not want to be with her so it's another story of complicated feelings and unrequited love and Takeshi's interesting because his his love story comes in a lot later. 
I love the way Wong Kar Wai makes films, and I love the way he like has his characters kind of grow and develop throughout the film. The first time that we're introduced to uh, this Takeshi Kaneshiro's character, which is Hojiwu, which is again the same name as his character in Chunky Express, which is really funny. He, but they're not supposed to be. They're different people. They're different yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. It took me a second to, like, separate them because I thought it's like, they where were do going they connect? to be. No, no, no. Yeah, they don't. They do not. <laughs> also, forgot to note that um, he you also see his relationship with his father in this. Yes, very uh, movie. It's like also another relationship that like develops um, in the film. Yeah, but when we first meet him, he. It's just really talking about his career, which is not a career, which is, like, um, basically making money off of people's stores after their stores have already closed. Which doesn't make any sense, but basically at 3 a.m. he's, like, running a butcher shop or something. And, like, that butcher shop is closed, but he reopens it. Um, And that's kind of, like, most of how we beat him at first. And then we go back to Wang Chi Ming um the hitman and he like meets his kind of second love story for the film um which is a woman in a blonde wig again another reference to chungi express and she's very she's kind of like throwing herself at him and he's kind of playing resistant but leads into it um they don't really show much of their relationship but it's clear that they have something then again like you said we get Hojiwu's uh, relationship with his father. Uh, we get to see like a, a we, we get he meets Charlie, who's his love story. This is the ex-convict. Confusing. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess Takeshi's character. Um, we see the story with his father. He meets Charlie, the un- unrequited love that Antonella was talking about. Um, and then we kind of get like the ending of. Uh, Leon Lai's character, the hitman, and then we get Takeshi's ending. Now I can't remember what happens at the end, but oh no, I remember! I remember what happened. Where like the two love stories of Takeshi and Leon Lai kind of come together at the end in a cute way. Yes, I love that. Like that, there is a an actual joining of them in the end, where like they're the two kind of scorned right. lovers. Right whose partners each have left them and they're kind of like in the same place at the end of the movie and that brings them together right not necessarily like in love with each other but they just like have like kind of a they relate they feel a connection right based on this like experience they went through yeah yeah yeah. which Um, is yeah cute but um i think it's so funny because i'm gonna talk about this the whole time because i can't resist it (laughs) but um just like to juxtapose it to the film Chucking Express. The, the reason I bring it up a lot too is because it's probably more famous than Fallen Angels in terms of Wong Kar Wai's films. So like, there's it, it a good chance like more people have seen that than Fallen Angels. I feel like the stories in Fallen Angels are like more unlucky or like more sordid. Where like the stories in Chucking Express are very like, happy love, like cute, you know? Um, or at least I see them that way because that's the way I like read the film. But um, mm-hmm. Me too. But it's funny that, like, Fallen Angels would have a happier ending and, like, Chunky Express would just be more, like, open-ended. Like, it's not an unhappy ending. There's just no conclusion, really, which I think is sweet. But I, it also captures a lot of the way that, like, I think Wong Kar Wai, like, just looks at life in the world and, like, 
he likes to show a very imperfect version of life which i think is great i just yes love no i agree (laughs) yeah love him um yeah and i I agree like that kind of yeah there's nothing truly like there's no true like climax really in his movies like like everything's going great this is great there's no like um like is a little bit more, yeah, true, true to life, a little more mundane, right? Um, and the characters themselves are morally gray; they're not, you know, necessarily heroes or villains. Um, but what he did say, which I thought speaks to like what you just said about like Chunking being a little bit more like happy love story, um, is that he described Chunking Express as like the the bright part of Hong Kong, and then. Um, this movie Fallen Angels is like the dark of Hong Kong so it's just like that they are like meant to be kind of like mirrors in a certain way which you can like definitely see that <laughs> you can see that except for the first you know the first love story in Chungi Express is also about a hitman um, and she like isn't like we don't really get a lot of information on her um, and she, all of her scenes happen at night too so it's like She's, like, kind of, like, the main thread that comes back to, like, Fallen Angels, which I think is interesting. Because um, when you think about it, all her scene in the bar, scene um, in the hotel room, all of that, like, <laughs> it's all, like, at night. I would say this is, like, the more sordid, darker film, which it's really not because it's absolutely hilarious. And, like, in, like, an even more, like, okay, like, I said this about Martin McDonough's film, so, like, Banshees of Inisherin in Bruges, like, if you just stop, like, try, like, if you don't take any of the really dark parts of it serious, like, it's ca- it's pretty funny, like, it's all kind of just a big joke, but, like, he does it and it really, like, this is dark and horrible, but, like, Wong Kar does the exact opposite, where he's like, this is probably dark and horrible, but I think it's hilarious, so we're just gonna laugh at it, and it's, like, it makes it so charming, like, so, like, Takeshi Kaneshiro's character basically, like, kidnaps people and makes them allow him to do jobs for them so that they can pay him. And it's, like, this really messed up thing that he does, but it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, and he, like, force feeds this entire family ice cream, and it's just, like, so bizarre, but it's so funny. And then the punchline is that his mom got hit by an ice cream truck, and that's why his dad doesn't like ice cream trucks. And it's like, that is the punchline of the joke. Like, that is so, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like the humor is super, it's it's actually like a pretty big part of this yeah. movie. And yeah, despite how like dark and, you know, it's like a noir film and it's crime and whatnot. But it's still it's kind not. of just ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the characters are much more like absurd and yeah. exaggerated. And <laughs> the Takeshi's character, the ex-convict, is like hilarious because yeah. he's kind of just like, like, what is he doing? Why is he harassing these people, <laughs> making them eat ice cream? <laughs> and he's a mute because he ate expired pineapple, which is also a reference to Chunking Express. But it's also just like, what, what, like, why is that how you become a mute? Doesn't make any sense. What I also read that Wong Kar Wai said was that this one, this movie is more inspired by like like comic book characters mm. and there's kind of more an exaggeration like they're less like real people yeah. i mean they, there's still a lot of like real moments but i think yeah. it's, there's some like absurdities in their characterization i think um, I, yeah i agree with that i mean in general like we said this this film in particular like 
is more of like a neon nighttime grungy kind of like vibe as opposed to like a lot of his other films um i think when i realized so like just another like we talked about how that it's very connected to chunking express but it's literally a continuation and it was originally going to be like a part of chunking express and then they were like no let's just make a whole other film out of it which after i read that i was like Oh, okay. Wong Kar Wai doesn't just have, like, a very specific aesthetic. He, this, these two movies are just, like, basically, like, brother and sister. Like, they are so, they're, like, sibling films. They're, like, meant to be extremely similar. Because when I think of some of his other films, like, there's still similarities and there's still connections. But there's definitely um, different elements that make them stand out more. So I think something that's great about Wong Kar Wai's films, and I think we both have wanted to do one of his films for this podcast for a while because um he puts so much of the weight of the film on the visuals so not even just the aesthetics but like so if you like were to like time the amount of talking in like his films it's very minimal because he doesn't like other than voiceover like he doesn't really like choose to have his films be dialogue based and a lot of things are based on like what you see on the film and what do you see in the in the film instead which i think is like so cool and like kind of like shows his mastery of filmmaking um he's never come like he never tries to make them look like overly cinematic which i also really like because i don't really like super cinematic looking films so like especially like fallen angels and chunky express like they're kind of meant to look almost like low budget like it's always like the lights are blown out like the motion is not, like, smooth, like, it's not meant to be, but he also, like, uses, like, he's really famous for, like, a couple of his camera techniques that he uses in, like, a lot of his films, and I think just the way he, like, chooses angles and close-ups is, like, it's always stylistic, so it's not necessarily, like, meant to make you go, like, I'm in this world it's not like Avatar like everything's hidden in these shots it's like no he's like choosing a shot and you're gonna be like oh that's a really crazy shot that he just chose and that's like kind of intentional on his part you yeah you're definitely you're aware of the camera in the in this it's a character yeah totally it is its own character you're like oh my god like and almost then makes you feel like you're like kind of looking in on these characters like you're more aware of yourself as an audience in a certain way where you're like i am watching these people like in their bedroom i'm like look like it feels like voyeuristic it does in a certain way just because the camera is so like can be kind of hidden and then it's can it becomes the character's point of view sometimes yep so he really plays a lot with that in in this film in fallen angels he does a great thing and he and a cinematographer who i didn't write down his name but his cinematographer should get props for this because he was, like, very... Like, when I was reading about it, he was, like, mentioned as, like, they work together to figure this out, but they do this great thing where, like, they use the foreground and background so interestingly in this film where, like, you have your main character in the foreground, but all the action of what is going on in the scene is happening in the background, and it's, like, on this angle. So, like, you get both happening at the same time, and it's, like, just a great... With, like it's kind of like splitting the screen but like he's not splitting the screen like you're just seeing both in one shot and it's like it's absolutely insane these shots he does it like six or seven times throughout the whole film and it's like truly wonderful 
Yes, there was some of like the the action scenes, like the the fight scenes, where just like everything's just in chaos, and then you then you have it like the um, the hitman's assistant. She's kind of just like eating in the corner. Yes, just like yeah. <laughs> so, so she's in the I, I she's in the that. foreground for us. So we're yeah. like we think we're yeah. supposed to be looking at her, paying attention to her, and then all of a sudden in the background, a whole fight breaks out, and like that's actually what's the point of the scene, and it, it's really like yeah. It's really great. It's really smart. Yeah. So he he does yeah all these really cool things with the camera lens. Yep. And it's like warped and kind of claustrophobic sometimes. When you're like really zoomed in on people's faces. Yeah, a lot of like close ups. A lot of like yeah, he can communicate well through like like I like what you said about it feeling claustrophobic because he can communicate feeling through the like camera choices very well. Just great. Totally. All right, I loved yeah. the shot. Um, he uses a lot of framing in this film in particular, which I, like, I think I noticed it more because he didn't use it as much in, like, Chunking, but, like, um, I think he definitely uses it in, like, In the Mood for Love, though. Can we give, uh, I'm just gonna say spoiler, can I say spoiler? Um, we see Takeshi's character mourning his dad, um, and, like, he's framed into this shot by, like, a doorway, so, like, everything by, like around the doorway is dark, but then you just see him with, like, a light on him in the bedroom. And you can tell it, and, like, there's sad music, and you can tell he's, like, upset, and then you find out, like, he's mourning. And it's, like, this really great, like, way of shooting him as, like, this little, like, kid in a box just, like, that we're, like, watching, and, like, the camera doesn't move. It's, it's like, so beautiful and so strong and, like, trying to, like, give you this sense of, like, you're just kind of, like, he's so quaint over there, you know? Yes, oh my god, that that's such a, a good um, scene to bring up for that. Well, he also, like, I feel like with the lighting, too, like you were just saying, mm-hmm. um, when one scene, there's, like, when um, the hitman and, the, and his assistant meet up for, like, the last chime, mm. and it's, like, super high contrast, and it's just, like, they're in the bar, and it's, like, really dark, and only, like, their faces are illuminated. That's really gorgeous. Yeah. And... But then it's yeah. also, like, then there's the other girl, what's her name? Punky, the girl that he, like, the hitman meets, who's, like, dancing around and, like, being crazy, and then, like, running out in the rain, and it's, like, she's in, like, full lighting, and, like, you know, like, he uses it in that scene to show, like, the two different things that are going on, you know? So, of course, we should also talk about the general, like, motifs. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of got into the, the aesthetics of his, like, filming. But right. um, I do want to mention just, like, the, the coloring, too, is mm-hmm. so specific in all in in his films and specifically in Chunking Express, of course. But in this film, there's a lot of green lights and a lot of red, too. Um, Like, the green and red contrast is so gorgeous on the film, in the film. And specifically, um, the hitman's assistant, she's nearly always in red or wearing some type of red. Yeah. Yeah, or black. And I... And I love that as like a little character motif. Just I feel like it's such a simple way to, like I don't know, bring her character together. And we'll get into the fashion, of course, too. Right. But I I love that little detail. Um, yeah, a non-visual aesthetic motif, but a musical aesthetic motif is kind of like it's really interesting the way Wong Kar Wai chooses to use music, which is not for like late twentieth century filmmaking is not 
like atypical, but like he does it in a very particular way. Um, I feel like I've told this story on this podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again. But basically, I had this uh, film professor once who told us that we should make a film all without making the audio. And then the audio, like, if you have, like, a good song, you should just be able to add the song in without editing the film to the song and it should just line up. And, like, that is true. Like, that is kind of how it works. And I think, like, what he's trying to say is that the music should be, like, just kind of something you sprinkle on. And I think what is really great is the way, like, Juan Carvai does sprinkle it on because he edits the music to the film rather than editing the film to the music which I think like enhances both more because it enhances why he's using this song and it enhances what it means in the picture you know because the picture is most important but it also reminds me of like um it's like the music is used in bits and sparingly and like there was a couple moments where he kind of like switched between like three different songs like really quickly and I was like whoa like I didn't even like if I wasn't like literally looking for details like that I wouldn't have noticed that probably but it was kind of like you just switch songs like three times that's crazy um it reminds me of a really great film called Tsukibuki which is a Senegalese film from the 70s which like does a similar thing and it uses a song song by uh the singer Josephine Baker and she's a song called like Pavi 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 or something but basically it goes like He does that much of the song, this director, and then repeats it. And then repeats it again and again. And, like, you think it, the, like, it feels like the song's supposed to go on, but it just repeats it. And it's, like, it's almost annoying, but it also, like, really captures, like, these two characters who are just so stuck and, like, can't, like, escape this, like, reality that they live in. And it's so smart, but, like, it's a hint. It's not, like, a very, like, blatant thing, you know? And I think, like... What's really great, like like I was saying in that scene with Takeshi mourning over his father, like, they, he gives us a song, which is not really, like, a sad song, but it gives you kind of, like, a, like, nostalgic feeling, but we don't know his dad has died yet, so it's like, oh my god, you know, like, and then when he said it, I was like, oh, I, how did I know, he, like, someone just died, yes. like, it's so funny, but yeah. And, like, also, music is used as, like, a, a plot device when the hitman tries to communicate with his assistant and he like leaves her that song Mm. to play at the bar and it's called forget him that's what the song is called and just like basically telling her to move on and like if he's like breaking up with her or ending their you know business relationship whatever um so I, i love that little motif which was also used in chunking express too kind of the number the number yeah yeah and like like and in that movie like california dreaming was kind of like the the big song of like um describing yeah not the number Um, yeah yeah, yeah. not the number the um i thought you remember something that i didn't i was like oh i don't remember that but (laughs) Uh, no 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 i i read something about like Takeshi Kaneshiro's inmate number in this movie oh, and the cop cute. number in the other one are the same one. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of little, like, Easter eggs that I'm sure connects this, or, like, more just, like, little, not actual plot connectors, but just fun 
little details that he made the same. There's a lot of them. I was like, it's just yeah. the same film. Uh, <laughs> like, every time I was like, every time something happened, yes. I was like, that is intentional for sure, but funny. Um, the girl in the, at the end, she's in a yes. flight Yes. I was like, wait, is that supposed to be the same that? character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm realizing uh, that, no, there's like, really, these are really supposed to just be like, all four different stories um that take place in hong kong like that that is really where they all start and end um in terms of connecting them but yeah this is just a random wong kar wai thematic element but he just always has people cleaning in his movies and like i i just am like okay like in the very opening um the hitman's assistant She's, like, cleaning his apartment. And, like, that was also a big theme in um, Chucky Express, which is The cleaning, that's a good point, because I feel like you actually have very similar dynamics in these relationships. Like, you have the hitman's assistant who's... You have the the obsessed lover, and then the one who is kind of cold. And, like, you know distant yeah. and not doesn't like the other one back and um i was like literally yeah, yeah. <laughs> but does but can't but ex- does exactly can't, but, like, can't express it to them. It. like yeah, and yeah, yeah. you have like the hitman's assistant like kind of obsessively picking through his trash and cleaning his room and then in chugging express um she was like apart she was like in his apartment and like looking at his stuff and you know mm-hmm. so you have these like kind of mm-hmm. These, yeah, these characters that are very obsessive and, yeah. Right. It seems like Wong Kar Wai thinks love <laughs> is, like, one person's obsessed, the other one loves the other person. Yeah. It's just like, no, okay, exactly. I guess you're obsessed with me. And like, very funny. Kind of sad, but... Kind of cute, too. Like, if it's not weird. Yeah, no, I feel, I I feel bad that. for her. Um, feel bad for the assistant. Which one? She got her guy in the end, you know? Yeah, literally. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, that too. Oh, I meant, I meant Hojiwu, but okay. <laughs> but yeah, the the fashion though, Miss Miss Assistant's fashion was incredible. No. I was obsessed with like her, all of her outfits, like the fishnets, the she wore like a cheetah print shirt, patent leather dresses. Yes, the red dress at the end, and, yeah. and I love this part where she's like wearing this like. Uh, I guess like PVC red dress yep. and she's holding the green phone mm-hmm. and I just love I don't know the colors of her bedroom too everything was just so so cool I love it and then her wearing like the red lipstick too oh it's yeah really just like really nice details I just I love the the costuming in this whole movie actually yeah um, she felt even a little like like Y2KE almost like mm-hmm. kind of had like a pop star like thing going on which I thought was really cool um yeah. I they all had very unique looks which I which you can always expect from like Wong Kar Wai is like there's much paid attention to in the fashion department which is great totally. um yeah you have the, I, like hitman that's like in the black suit and like the yeah. silver chain he has like yeah. Each one has like a look, which I appreciate. Well, he always had like the baggy button downs, mm-hmm. which like Hoshi Wu, which Takeshi Kaneshiro's character did too. But they were like his were always the hitman's were always black, and then he had the wife beater with 
shouldn't call it a wife beater, the rib tank, the chain necklace, and then, like, Takeshi Kaneshiro would have, like, a light-colored, like, button-down and, like, a t-shirt, and he had, like, his floppy hair. Um, I don't know, like, they they were very contrasted themselves, too, because one was, like, definitely, like, grungier, and, like, Takeshi Kaneshiro's character is grungier than his other character, but still kind of, like, cutesy, I guess. It's looking um, like heartthrob. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I loved Punky, the the girl, the second girl that the hitman, like, kind of ends up with. Um, she had, like, this totally, like, mid-60s, like, curly wig, and then she would wear, like, the capri pants and, like, a bright colored shirt. Like, she had this, like, totally, like, different look to her, but I thought it was really, like, fun and cute. Um, yes, yeah, like, I, I, like, I love her. I love her yeah. look too. I, at first, I was like, "Is this supposed to be the blonde woman from Chunking?" Again, I'm like trying to connect them, but yeah, there's obviously no not different actresses. So also just different vibes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> energies. Different. Yeah, different people at it. Yeah. yeah no, totally. like I agree with you. Like being like, "Oh, that's the blonde." With curly Blondie. hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then the jokes about, there was, like, this whole scene about Blondie, and it was just, like, so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the fashion was great. I definitely, now I just want to dress like the assistant. I'm just <laughs> going to dress like her now. She's completely influenced me. <laughs> I didn't, it wouldn't, it didn't even click to me that she would, like, hit home so hard for you, but now I see it. Now that you've said it, I'm like, oh, Yeah. Of course, Antonella would, like, yeah. be obsessed with her, yeah. I'm going to buy, like, a bunch of big rings now, and I'm going to wear them. Because yeah. she looks so good. And she, like, uses her... I like how she has, like, a little clip for her bangs. So, like, when she's mm-hmm. kind of, like, off-duty, basically, she'll just have right. her Clip bangs up. clipped up, no makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, she, like, clips down the bangs and, you know, like, becomes Fix that, like, yeah. very, like, you know, mysterious character again she like gets into character herself i would say i did discover why it's called fallen angels <laughs> like oh, the you, title like, of read the about movie it? yeah okay because i have an so, i have a assumption i guess but yeah yeah i mean i had assumed but yeah they i mean i kind of did talk about how these are kind of more morally gray characters but basically by the end of the movie we have two characters that have kind of regressed back to like bad habits you have Takeshi's character the ex-convict he's kind of he returns to like his um freeloading activities and harassment of the local people Mm -hmm. um and the assistant she um basically sets spoiler she sets up her ex-partner into a she basically gets him killed um so they kind of regress as characters and there's no there's no true like character arc for them um or there arguably could be but not like a happy one so they're they're kind of the fallen angels of this story and um but what's a nice little easter egg or i don't want to say that again but a nice little um visual hint is that at the end of the movie, so the whole movie takes place at night, but at the end is the only time you see the dawn, like the morning light. And that's when those two kind of fallen angels are 
riding in that dark tunnel and then when they exit it's becomes morning so it's a nice little like almost hopeful ending which we said before is like a difference between chunking where that was kind of more of an open ending this is like you kind of see there's more there's light at the end of the tunnel literally (laughs) that's cute i i was thinking like i didn't know like that it was that concise to the plot which makes a lot of sense i was just thinking in general like i think each of the characters like there is, like, they all have some kind of, like, innocence to them where they, like, want something better. So, I like, it made sense to me that they would all be fallen angels because it's, like, they don't really have a choice to do all the, these bad things that they don't want to do. But they, on the inside, they, like, want to be better, which I think is sweet. Yeah, that's that's also a really good interpretation of that. Yeah, I I think they're not they're not true villains either, despite their actions yeah, they're not still yeah they're see, not like really bad yeah. guys yeah yeah you still feel like sympathy for them um and like they're and the choices they make because they're hopelessly in love like they're both they're all like hopeless romantics at heart i think right but yeah it's just also it's also just a beautiful movie it was that great. Yeah. displays hong kong and yeah very much like i think what's great about all of Wong Kar Wai's films is that like Hong Kong is this very like uniquely diverse place where it's like has like obviously a very particular Chinese culture which is not like the typical mainland China Chinese culture it's like uh, more of like a Guangzhou like Cantonese uh, culture but that is like all really only one pocket of culture in Hong Kong because there's like you know, it was it it was a British colony. It has so many like different like very large immigrant populations, and I think like he does a really good job of making that a reality and not making it seem like it's like this fake place with only Chinese people. Like it's it's very like I, I like what he does with it, and I like like because I kept thinking like oh that seems like Western influence. It's not Western influence. Is that Hong Kong is this place that it's like so diverse and mixed and has all these like like different cultures coming in and coming together that it like has to have these different elements to it that make it really interesting yeah and i read that it's almost like a time capsule yeah of of this specific time in that city and i didn't know that the 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 handover of hong kong to china was in 1997 so this literally Mm -hmm. is like just this time period pre pre the the handover um so yeah it captures that it's it was like i had not <laughs> i had watched chunking express so many times that i had been like uh it doesn't have the same like effect that it had the first like three times i watched it when i was like oh my god um which happens with films and then you like wait a while and then you watch it again and then you like whatever you experience it again but it was like great that it was like I got to watch something else that was so similar and that like gave me the same feeling of like watching Chunking Express again for the first time like it was that funny it was that sweet it was that charming you know um yeah and I I think like there's just so many elements to his films that like unless you're like boring I don't know <laughs> like, it's gonna be hard to not enjoy yeah. these films um so do you like it more than Chunking Express? Is it your new favorite Wong Kar Wai movie? 
No. I will. Tenkei Express will always have my heart. Um, yeah. Takeshi Kaneshiro and Tenkei Express is just, like, another level of, like, most adorable, dopeyest little man in the world. Like, I, it's too much for me. And then Tony Young, like, this movie doesn't have Tony yes. Young in it. I'm sorry. Like, you so can't, true. like, a movie can't be that good without Tony Young. Like, it doesn't happen. That's so. a key factor that was missing. Um, and Faye Wong. Are you kidding me? Yes. And, like, Tony versus Faye Wong in it. Like, let's yeah. not even, like, let's not, like. Yeah, I definitely. no argument. Yeah, I totally agree. And, oh, my God, no, literally, though, when I was, I have, like, because I was taking notes as I was watching, but, like, as soon as Takeshi showed up, I just, like, wrote in caps, like, Takeshi. Because it was, he had a great entrance. We did. The, the what film. was it? He just was, like, in a closet, like, <laughs> hiding. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> he pops out. He's such um, a dope. No, but, yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I love, like, the way he, could, like, because he's like Takeshi Kaneshiro, so like if you've never, if you don't know Takeshi Kaneshiro, he's just like this very like traditionally like handsome like, like you were saying heartthrob vibe kind of actor, um, and like the way he just like throws himself around in this role though is like it's so funny like you can tell he's a very good actor because I mean a like his character in this is like so different from his character in Chunking Express, which I think is like so brilliant. Uh, but also just the way he's, like, he fully commits and, like, you wouldn't, like, he's not even laughing and it's, like, the funniest shit you've ever seen. Like, it's, he's, props to him for that one. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, you definitely can see his range because yeah. he's able to make them feel like different characters despite, like, how similar and, how similar. like, the context is the but, same. So that's, like, that's skill. Their voiceover is literally almost the same. Yeah. Like, but he, he makes it, like, two completely mm-hmm. different people and it's. And he's able to act so well without being able to say any words. Like, it's so... It's so, so true. Smart. You're right, because this whole movie, he's he's mute, obviously. But, like, yeah. it's almost, like, yeah, it doesn't feel like you're missing that. No, I kept having to go, like, oh, he's not saying any words. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it took me a moment. It's like, oh, yeah, so he's really, like, just not speaking this whole film. Yeah. Got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Chunking Expresses have a special place in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> There's no comparison. I I don't. I think it's better than In the Mood for Love, and like that's just like opinion, like personal opinion. Um, that I haven't is not seen an objective one. opinion. Yeah, but In the Mood for Love is great. I didn't relate to it as much as I related to like Chucky Express mm-hmm. because it's it's not as light and fluffy. It's a lot like sadder, which mm-hmm. is difficult. But. I we need to see Happy Together. Have you seen that? Yeah, that was supposed to be absolutely heartbreaking. Oh. so sure, but like yeah. <laughs> I do want to see it because Tony Leung and um, my friend is obsessed with the other guy in it, Leslie Chung. Leslie, yeah, Leslie Chung. Okay. Oh, Tony Leung, Leslie Chung. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to our podcast um, and putting up with our goofiness. Um, thank you to Phineas O'Brien for our sick intro outro music. Side note, I think I left it out of the second episode when I published it. Um, but it's fine. And thank you to ACAST for hosting us. Woo-hoo. Anything else you want to say? Thank you for listening and getting this far in the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we're <laughs> proud of you. Are you proud of us? <laughs> you should be. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. See you next time.